Welcome to Realm, a podcast for Xennials. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hi. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) So it's going well so far. Oh my God, we're like such professionals, like, yes. We're so good at podcasting. <laughs> I mean, like, could you, <laughs> would you put that on your resume? Like, I'm so good at podcasting. <laughs> I don't know that I'd put this on my resume at all. <laughs> I suppose it depends on what I was applying for, but uh, the job that I have currently, I don't think foul-mouthed podcast artist is exactly a checkbox in the win column you know what I mean are we so I mean I think occasionally yeah right I mean like I check the explicit box when when I post because we do occasionally curse but I mean normally I have a mouth like a sailor so I don't think you're that bad (laughs) that's sweet I know I am I'm lovely. I'm amazing. So true. <laughs> uh, what's going on? Tell me everything. I'm in one of those weeks where time is standing still and oh. it won't move. And I'm really tired. So, you know, we, for school, like we have a long Thanksgiving break and I am very much in need of it. So it's just like everything. I can't believe it's uh Stop. It's going so slow. <laughs> uh, so you're like the end of this week, you're done though? Yes, we get we get the whole week off for Thanksgiving, which is magical. Are caseloads going up for you like everywhere else? Yes, they are. Yes, they I've are. heard that some schools are just going to shut down from Thanksgiving to the new year. So my district is all still virtual right now. Okay. Um. I, there may be, I don't, I have not heard about any of the other systems that are around us that are opening, that have been open, that they have any plans to close. Um, we are technically supposed to be opening back up in January, but I don't think there's any way that's going to happen. So. But hey, you might get the vaccine first. Well, maybe. Yeah. If it, uh, if it, you know, works and just right yeah i would i would think that you know healthcare workers can go first but yes, 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 yes. yeah teachers are, are in line behind them for sure yeah very upset on friday i uh i i painted my face in drag i did drag on friday for a thank you video that i made uh for my film's fundraising campaign and uh i'd spent you know three hours getting ready um, so I was like, you know, I'm not just taking it off after I've recorded the two minute video. So I called my niece and nephew and, uh, let's just say gender norms are alive and well in my sister's lesbian household. Oh. <laughs> Cause my nephew, my five-year-old nephew, guys aren't supposed to wear makeup. Oh. And then, and then, but the, the more important conversation was with my niece, Charlie, What's wrong with your eyeshadow? <laughs> she did not approve of your technique. She did not. <laughs> Very upset. My eyeshadow did get a little muddy. That's fair. 
<laughs> Maybe actually she's just a budding makeup artist and she actually, you know, knows what she's talking about. She actually really likes makeup. Well, there you go. Maybe she has a career all planned out. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm having a weird, had a weird couple days. And by weird, like, I don't know how I'm going to feel in like the next 30 to 90 seconds. Mm, mm -hmm. It's just, I, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Like if you act like, you actually know me and you're genuinely asking how I am. I don't know. Because I, go I mean, I think, I think like, yeah, sure. Because everything right now is, uh, I mean, they're, bleh, right? Like you just, yes, yeah, just, bleh. that's the only, like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Wait, you're sick? You're vomiting? No, it's just. No, it's just, bleh. like, I don't, yeah, I don't. <laughs> Do you remember? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is why we teach feeling words in preschool is because by the time you're an adult, you've devolved to the point where you're like, I don't know. I can't talk about feelings. I just feel black. <laughs> um, we are confirming that as we get older, we become more like children. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. I just. Um, remember uh, we had that moment in college in our apartment and we were having this real rough week and I went out on a walk and I came back and I feel like we were both like ready to have like a big cry and we just started hysterically laughing for like 20 minutes. I think those things are remarkably close together. Yeah. I am frequently both ready to laugh and cry at the same time. Um. I I, I mean, all week long, like, that's how I feel. Like, am I laughing? Am I crying? I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I, I, I've done both. I had needed a good cry, and I, the waterworks came with the Biden acceptance speech when the families came out, as I think I said last episode. Um, but I feel like it's also opened a door, so now I'm getting, like, misty at things more frequently mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i watched mm -hmm. santa claus the tim allen christmas movie over the weekend oh um really good still good you know got all misty at the end like some real tears um i mean listen nothing will make you tear up like a christmas movie right i cried watching the newsroom this past weekend i, I cried finishing schitt's creek Oh, yeah. 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 And also doing yoga. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is hilarious. I'm going to tell you. I'm sure that, thank God, nobody was here. But if anybody had seen me, like, just doing yoga and crying, <laughs> like, it's a hilarious visual. Just well, like warrior two and crying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, there are similar aspects to yoga as are the voice and speech technique that we did in, in college where we were encouraged to cry often. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, like it's body release for sure. Um, and also like, then I think about how much I miss going to yoga mm. and it's that, you know what I'm not going to do though? I'm not going to go to yoga because fucking global pandemic guys, like stop going places. Stop it. 
Stop going places. Just stop. Stay home. Just drink on your porch like everybody else. Stay home. It's not that important. You can get takeout. It's okay. Like, y'all are being assholes. Stop it. That's all. Like, I miss yoga, too. I miss the nail salon, too. Like, I miss going places. I miss just going places. Going places was nice. <laughs> and I'm not saying you can't go to the grocery store. And I'm not saying, you know what I mean? Like, fine. But there are things that you do not have to do. There are things that people are choosing. And it is just silly. Oh, um, it finally happened. Wow, gonna need some context for that. <laughs> I yelled at people for not wearing masks <laughs> in public. You're right, that was inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These, like, it was, um, she was either like something Eastern European or Russian, and she was carrying a drink, and I did not see a mask, but it well could have been in her bag. But then there was a man with her who was also carrying a mask, not on his face, one was not, like did not even have an excuse of having a drink. Um, and uh, like I let like we we're standing at elevators next to each other in a shopping plaza. Um, I was coming back from the drugstore to pick up a prescription, and they were coming back from Starbucks. Um, and uh, like I wasn't gonna get in an elevator with them. No. And and then like I don't. I, a wave of aggression came over me. And as their door, the doors started closing on their elevator, I said, wear a fucking mask. And I saw the girl look up and she looked like, oh my God, whoops. Yes, you, I'm talking about you, asshole. Yeah. Like, put your mask back on. Don't just go traipsing around at fucking Starbucks with no masks on. Like, come on guys. Yeah. I'm it's not over yet, and we're all tired of it. Everybody's got COVID fatigue, yeah. but we're not done yet. So. Let's get lipstick on, lipstick on. I want to get lipstick on. Let's get lipstick on. Well, our list today is about monologues, so we're... I, I don't know I don't know where this came from like I don't know why I had this idea um it just was very <laughs> you random this, didn't you I did I did come <laughs> up with it yeah it's a super random it was just a really random idea I had about like oh what are the best monologues and of course it came out of rewatching West Wing right oh I did not know yeah. that okay. oh yeah I mean I think that's I think that's where I got the idea because I don't know I'm sure we were having a conversation I'll just go ahead and jump into my first one on the list because it is West Wing okay. I feel like we actually could just have done lists of Sorkin monologues. Yes. Because he's pretty epic at writing a monologue. Cause like a good monologue you want it to have when it gets done. Like you have that feeling that like as an audience member, you're like, ah, right. Like there's like a, it's like a monologue has like a punch at the end, right? Like it's like where the music swells and you get the thing and like, right. Like it's this big moment and it has this like, triumphant sort of I mean even if it isn't necessarily triumphant even if it's dramatic or whatever it's just like this big oomph well and I think I think and we're obviously biased about Aaron Sorkin because we really like him but I think of like especially of modern monologues mm -hmm. kind of the most conversational it doesn't feel like all of a sudden I'm doing a monologue because I'm an actor right 
Yeah, I mean, I think he's just good at writing monologues. Like, if you look at lists of, like, the best monologues of the last 20 years or whatever, like, half of them are his, yeah. right? Like, he wrote movies that you didn't even realize he wrote. You're like, oh, yeah, that was him. And then there's a great monologue in it. You like, know, pretty much everything he ever wrote has one great monologue or it, more. It's really funny. When I was doing some research, so for, for my list today, um, for monologues, I picked three that I've really loved performing and that I resonate with, and then two from like film and television mm -hmm. um, that I've enjoyed watching. Uh, but when I was doing my research, it was kind of funny to look at the lists because I feel like all of these lists were made by men. Oh, that, no honey, that's because all the good monologues belong to men. Ugh, that's so annoying. Yeah, women don't get monologues. It's really obnoxious. I had, I mean, you got to like, look, you have to find like a very specific type of show. So like not all of the monologues on my list are women. Oh, okay. Because they're not like, it's not stuff I could perform. Like it's just stuff mm. because honestly, you know, that has only happened in the last couple of years that there's been stuff and I haven't been performing. So I, whatever, I always hated doing monologues anyways, like the, the whole audition with a monologue thing. Like it's dumb. You know, they don't really do that much anymore. Well, that's good, because it was dumb. Like, even when you do a showcase, you know, a lot of the showcases will either require that you do a scene or, you know, they will allow you to do a monologue if you really must, but they recommend you doing a scene. Yeah, because scenes are much more interesting. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm, it's much more interesting to act with somebody else than it is by yourself. Like, it's really hard. It's hard to pull off a good monologue. It's hard to pull off a good monologue out of context. So like it matters that it's in the middle of the scene, right? Like if I, if no, if somebody, if I showed the President Bartlett monologue from two cathedrals where he's yelling at God in the National Cathedral, which is of course, number one on my list. Then like, if I show that to somebody who has not seen that show, they can maybe understand that Martin Sheen is doing a good job, but it does not resonate with them. They don't have any context for it. They don't understand it. And so it doesn't, like you can come in and watch a scene and you can understand something about those people from their interaction with each other, from their dynamic. There's a lot of unspoken stuff that happens in a scene, but you can't have unspoken stuff that happens in a monologue. That's the whole point of it is that everything gets spoken. So I think it's a special, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think Sorkin is good at it, right? Like it's, there's a special kind of talent to being able to write yeah. a monologue that like works. So President Bartlett, Two Cathedrals, man, the nerve of Aaron Sorkin to have Martin Sheen screaming in Latin on network television. In a church. In a church. He's yelling at God on network television. He's calling God a thug on network television. He must have gotten some hate letter mail for that. <laughs> well, that, I imagine that's why he put it in Latin. Down <laughs> <laughs> um, on the hate letters significantly. What about this monologue? Of all the monologues from Western, what is it about this one for you? I think it's I think it's the ballsiness of it, right? Like I think it's the gutsiness of it's the gutsiness of writing it and putting it on network television, mm -hmm. um, and then also it is just expertly performed. I mean, I think it's Martin Sheen's finest moment, you, and I think those two episodes are 
are the best 18th and Potomac and the two cathedrals, which is the end of season two. Yeah. I'm a super nerd. Uh, are those are the two best episodes of West Wing. Like it's the best arc. It's remarkable. Are you going to read a little bit for us? No, because I don't speak Latin. Okay. Um, uh, so I, my first one, um, my favorite playwright uh, is a man named Terrence McNally. Oh yeah, Terrence McNally. Um, I used to do one of his monologues actually. Oh, from which play? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that it said something about the Kiwanis Club in it and I didn't know what the Kiwanis Club was when I was doing the monologue. Do you know what it is now? Uh, vaguely, it's like the Masons, but for people who are in RVs, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> something to do with like, you know. Like the Lion Club or yeah, something? Yeah, it's like men who wear tall black socks. You know what I'm saying? Oh. And like shorts. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, patio dads. Oh, ah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, He actually died, I believe, last year, unfortunately. Oh no, this year um, he passed away from COVID actually. Um, but I, I, I came to this play only recently, like in the last couple of years, and it's called Dedication or the Stuff of Dreams. And it's about an actor, an adult actor, who produces children's plays and dreams of owning his own theater. Um, and he's married to a woman who's having an affair with their stage manager. And the lead actor, Lou, in the play is actually a closeted um, gay guy. Um, and I would call it a dramedy. Um, but the whole, place takes, the whole play takes place on an empty stage because for his birthday, his wife has gotten him um, a visit to an abandoned theater in their town um, oh. that they could possibly buy and fix up. Like it was like kind of an old vaudeville touring house in, in upstate New York. Yeah. Um, and this is the one monologue in the whole show. And it's about um, him fantasizing about performing. And I'll read a little bit of it. And always the curtain will fall. The stories will have ended. And we, the actors, will take our bows. House lights up, it's over. We can all go home now, but something has changed. Tinkerbell has lived. Cinderella has found her prince. You will go back to your real world and will be raw and, and will be raw and painful, ugly even, but maybe a little less so because of what you have seen here today. Harmony and happiness were possible and I will go back to my real world and it too will be a little more bearable, a little less unbearable because what I've given you and in giving you have given myself love and laughter which are a good deal more nourishing at your age than any uh, bread or games. Hell, at any age, you lucky, lucky children. Hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I just love that it's sort of um, almost a manifesto of, of how he views art. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, uh... A monologue is a good manifesto, right? Yeah. I guess a good, that's that's what, um, so my next monologue is kind of a manifesto as well. Uh, it is, yeah, so um, it's from Parks and Recreation. Aww. And Leslie uh, is running for city council. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a hilarious 
season, um, Paul Rudd comes in as Bobby Newport, who is the like rich. His dad basically owns the town and he's just like, oh, I don't know. My dad wanted me to run for city council and he's just killing her and he doesn't have it like he, you know, she's so upset because he just doesn't care and he doesn't and he's just got all this money and he's just giving people candy bars and so they're going to vote for him and um, and she has this speech and it's so perfectly it's so perfectly Parks and Recreation and Leslie which is awesome, but it also is, it's like that inspiring thing and it makes you, it's so hopeful and it's so, it's just how I feel and it's like how I want, um, I love this town. And when you love something, you don't threaten it. You don't punish it. You fight for it. You take care of it. You put it first. And as your city councilor, I will make sure no one takes advantage of Pawnee. If I seem too passionate, it's because I care. If I come on too strong, it's because I feel strongly. And if I push too hard, it's because things aren't moving fast enough. And I just love, that was the thing that I love so much about Parks and Rec is that they allowed Leslie to be that person. They allowed her to be a character that on a lot of shows, especially because she's a woman, she is annoying, right? Like even in the first season, she kind of started off that way, right? Like she's female Michael Scott. She's annoying and she's pushy and she's, you know, just this ridiculous bureaucrat that doesn't understand how the system works. And then they kind of allowed her to blossom into who she really was, I think as a character, which is an idealist and somebody who believes that people can make a difference and that people can change things and that it's okay to care that it's okay to try and to want things to be better and to believe that you can make them better. And that's really powerful for me. And I just love, I love that monologue. I love that show. Oh, that, I mean, oddly that could be in Parks and it's it's in Parks and Rec. It could also be in an Aaron Sorkin. (laughs) Right, yeah, it's very (laughs) Sorkin-esque. I wonder how idealistic all of our choices are going to be. Right. Um, I think fairly. Yeah. Um, my next one is less idealistic. It's sort of more representative of my sense of humor because hmm. okay. it's weird, but it's also crass. <laughs> like, <Sure>. and <laughs> like, you know, checks out. yeah. So it's, um, <clears throat> I'm, 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 I'm just going to read like the first couple sentences. I don't find my sex organs particularly attractive. Oh, I remember this monologue. (laughs) I don't mean that. I mean, I don't find my sex organs particularly attractive. Yeah, and it goes on to talk about how he finds penises and vaginas ugly, Um, but like then relates it in this weird way to color theory and uh, like, the color wheel and like it's really weird and honestly I have actually never been able to find it's it's from a play called Free Will and Wanton Lust and according to the interwebs it's about a wealthy self-absorbed woman who takes lovers half her age to keep herself feeling young beautiful and fulfilled however I've never been able to find a copy of the play to actually Mm. read it 
So whenever I, uh, this is this is a monologue I like to perform at a, at comedy auditions because it's weird and I don't know. Yeah. And uh, but I perform it like as if I'm at like a an AA meeting. <laughs> it's a confessional, huh? Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm uh, I'm gonna continue on with uh, one that I used to actually do, um, <clears throat> which is a Shakespearean monologue from Romeo and Juliet. <gasps> yeah, um, so it's an unusual. Most people do something from the balcony scene, mm -hmm. right? Like Romeo, Romeo, why far art thou, Romeo? Sure. Right. Um, but this, so if you saw the Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio version. Um, and Centennial, so we have. Which you fucking did, right. <laughs> Let's just talk about that movie for one second, though, okay? Mm -hmm. Because, first of all, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in that movie is like, it, it was like peak sexuality. Like, <laughs> that was it, was, it was, a, it was a magical moment of just like, they're so, they're so cute. Oh my God, like he was so cute. He oh, was just the cutest. Oh yeah, you should. It's way better. It's way better than a guy credit for being. Like, I think Baz Luhrmann might actually kind of be a genius. Like, Except what happened to him? He like stopped making good movies. Right? Like what did he do after Moulin Rouge? I don't even know. Yeah. What? A movie called Australia with Nicole Kidman that I never saw and heard was horrible. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that. And then and then he directed um an opera. I mean, uh, that seems in his wheelhouse. And then he their their the musical Moulin Rouge, I think, was on Broadway. Oh, sure. Recently and like it opened shortly before COVID, I think. Yeah. But that Romeo and Juliet, it's like it's Leonardo. Leo's like when it's when he's at his most gorgeous, mm. right? And Claire Danes is so effortlessly like innocent and perfect in that movie. And so like, and they did a great job. They did a great job of falling in love at first sight, right? Like teenagers do. Like they just they're completely in love, and it's um <clears throat> and like the pool scene and the whole whatever. It's gorgeous and it's super sexy and it's amazing, and it's like peak nineties just peak 90s shit man but there's a scene it's a little later on um and she's she's just i think she's laying in bed in the movie she's just sort of like thinking about him or whatever um and when he shall die take him and cut him into little stars and he will make the face of heaven so fine that all the world shall be in love with night and pay no worship to the gayer son oh and that's uh, like i've always remembered that line is that the scene where she's talking with the nurse like later on where they have, where she has to go deliver messages. It's like, that's, it's before that scene. Okay. Yeah, I, I like have, I have a thing of like white sheets. Like they're, they're it's like billowy sort of oh, white sheets. Oh, it was the morning after they like did the deed. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. He's like taken off and she's reminiscing or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Afterglow. Yeah, I mean, you know, for Shakespearean monologues, like there aren't there aren't that many of them, right? Like for women, if you're doing an actual monologue by a woman, there aren't that many choices. Um, and you can do, I mean, there's some, there's better stuff in in like the Greek tragedies, actually. Like I did, do you remember me doing the monologue from Phaedra in French? 
when we were in school no <laughs> i this is like a thing that i know happened but also it seems so unreal that i'm like did it though because i was a talented enough actress at some point to be able to deliver like a weeping dramatic like her entire family has just been murdered it's a greek tragedy so of course her entire family has just been murdered yeah right like in French, like sobbing on the floor of the stage. Yeah, that yeah. was a thing that I did. Slide, I don't remember that one though. Side tangent, because I've been watching a little Spartacus on Stars. Um, like, were ancient Greek and Roman times really that violent? Yes. Okay. Yes, they were super, super murdery. <laughs> I think they I think they probably were not nearly that sexy. Although they were very like orgy-ish. I just think everybody probably smelled bad. Like, cause like I feel like that like ancient Greek and Roman times were like supposedly when we started having more civilized something or other. Oh I yeah, but they were they would martyr you in a heartbeat though. Like that was how you controlled the world, right? Is that like I mean, we know this from West Wing monologues that there used to be a time where a Roman citizen could walk across the face of the known world, cloaked only in the words Civis Romano, which marked him as a citizen of Rome. I definitely have not seen this show too many times. So, <laughs> because so great was the retribution of Rome that should harm even befall one of its citizens. Yeah. Yeah, that they would like come and murder your entire population. Like, yeah, Rome was about no. was about murdering folks. I, I I had to run an errand earlier this morning, and I was driving home, and there was a big billboard that said "peace," and underneath it, it said "Christians against genocide." And I, and you were like, "Shit, y'all had to make a group. Are there Christians for genocide?" That's exactly like what I was thinking. I was like. Why, why does anyone need to state that they're against like- Against genocide, right? Like, isn't everybody against genocide? Well, and that, that was my thought. I was like, well, I started thinking that I was like, well, clearly not everyone is against genocide, but shouldn't we be? Like, Shouldn't we be? Isn't that just like <laughs> ethics 101, right? Like not a big fan of genocide. Like, and what Christians shouldn't, at least publicly be against genocide. Like Right? Like the how what it felt just was not in that group. Right? <laughs> also, how much did it cost you to put up a billboard and could you not have done anything better with that money, Christians? Right. Yes, because you know whose mind, everybody gets their minds changed by like cautionary billboards. Like what? It's so like people with their bumper stickers. It's like you're not changing anybody's mind with your stupid bumper sticker. Do something better with yourself. There's this other organization here in LA called AIDS Healthcare Foundation. And they like to do really in your face aggressive billboards about STDs. Um, so they a couple of Christmases ago, they had this billboard around LA that was a big exploding volcano. And it just said syphilis in big in big letters. Like it, it looked like an action movie billboard. 
<laughs> like there was a movie coming soon starring yeah, Sylvester Stallone called Syphilis. Yes, and it was about an exploding volcano. Syphilis. I don't feel like that's really very well targeted because I think people who don't know what syphilis is don't understand why you chose that image. <laughs> and if you already know why you chose that image, then in fact, you don't want syphilis. Right. Yeah, but you already know that, though. Like, that billboard didn't help anybody. <laughs> like, you know what I know? I don't want syphilis. Also, I'm against genocide. I know that, too. I do not need billboards to help me out with either of these things, guys. Like, you want to tell me where I can get an oil change for $39.99? Fine. <laughs> That's helpful information. But I don't need your help to know that I'm against genocide and syphilis. <laughs> Isn't everybody against genocide? <laughs> oh, look, I'm monologuing. <laughs> for Megan. <laughs> well, that tangent was worth it. <laughs> oh wow okay getting an ab workout thank you i don't remember whose turn it was is it your turn uh, or mine yeah. <clears throat> well i'm gonna bring it back down to the depressing world now <laughs> right <laughs> um so this is my second terrence mcnally pick Ooh. um from another um one of his called the lisbon traviata um, <clears throat> which is the, the Lisbon Traviata was an unauthorized recording of the famed opera singer Maria Callas. Um, and it's about someone who collects, who's like, the play is about someone who's obsessed with Maria Callas mm -hmm. and obsessed with finding this unauthorized uh -huh. recording. Oh my God, I'm out of breath from syphilis and genocide. <laughs> It will take a toll. <clears throat> um, so anyway, the play is a, a reflection on romantic obsession and diva worship. Mm. And uh, there's a breakup scene, and it just feels like one of those iconic breakup monologues mm. mm -hmm. that you just want to perform to do it. Like... It just feels like one of those things as, as an actor, like you want to have that, that great breakup scene. Right. Like I feel like Carrie Washington's gotten to do that monologue a couple of times, right? Like, yeah. yeah, it's like uh, a Carrie Washington, like a, screw you. A great breakup moment, but also <clears throat> like, it's also a little bit metaphoric for me as a, as someone who performs monologues. Um, like a little reflective, even though it's about like a one-on-one -on -one, a, a, a gay relationship, it's also like the way they talk about the relationship also feels similar to how I, my relationship with my family. Hmm. So that's another reason why I resonate with it. Um, and it says, you hear words, but you don't hear what I'm saying. I'm tired, Stephen. I'm tired of saying I'm sorry all the time. I'm tired of tiptoeing through my life because it might interfere with yours. I'm tired of being told what opera to like, what book to read, what movies to go to. I'm tired of being your father, mother, big brother, best friend, your analyst, your cheerleader. I love you, Stephen. 
I'll always love you, but I haven't been your lover for a long time. I think you're a good man, a decent man, a deserving one. You don't deserve this. You'll find someone else. Hmm. That's a good monologue. Uh, I, I Frankenstein that a little bit. There's a whole, <laughs> this, well, is, sure. this is the one in the middle where like this whole bit in the middle where they talk about having sex. He's like, I was touching your tit. Ah. Well, thanks for cutting that out. That yep. would have been weird. Right? And we wouldn't have wanted it to be weird. <laughs> so I'm so glad we successfully avoided that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> to genocide and syphilis. <laughs> nope. No, in fact, to goodwill hunting. Oh, oh, you did this one. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did not do this one. See, uh -oh. that's where that's what I'm about to tell. That's what I'm about to explain. So there is a famous monologue from Goodwill Hunting where he basically the one um, on the park bench. Yeah, the one on the park bench where he like is basically telling Matt Damon's character. Yeah. Will Will Hunting that yes. Uh that he that he doesn't know shit because he's a kid and like you haven't, you don't know any, you can't read it in books. Like you haven't experienced anything. You haven't, you have to live life. Like that's how you learn about things. That's how you, and if you're too scared to go live life, then, then all you're ever, then everything's just going to be empty. And that is a great monologue, but, but it is not, not that it's not the one I picked. No, because there is one that has stuck with me from that movie forever. Like mm -hmm. I remember it. Um, and it actually, Robin Williams, I, and I really think, I really think Goodwill Hunting is, if, if not his best performance, it's up there. One, yeah, like one of his, maybe top two. Like it's, he is spectacular in that movie. Um, and he ad-libbed a big piece of this. He starts talking about how his wife used to fart in bed. <laughs> and Matt Damon is dying laughing because he ad-libbed that part like Robin Williams made it up oh. and so you can it's really it's a really good scene too because Matt Damon is genuinely laughing like they're cracking up laughing um and then he ends up like he's talking about how love is knowing somebody else's idiosyncrasies and peccadilloes mm -hmm. and that that's really knowing somebody and that like you know that girl you met isn't perfect and you know what neither are you that's not the question the question is are you perfect for each other right and I think I have like given that as advice to most of my friends at some point in a relationship right like they're not perfect neither are you the question is are you perfect for each other and and even if they're great if you guys are great together then it doesn't that's not the point it doesn't work Right. And it's it's great relationship advice and it's great life advice. And it like reminds you of what what intimacy is and what real real relationships are like. And it's and so it's just always I have always remembered it. And I just yeah, I think that movie actually is really well written. Like it, you kind of forget about it, but it's an incredibly well written movie. I'm curious to know, cause like if that was written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, mm -hmm. 
but Matt Damon just stopped writing after that? Like, right? Like you just had this one great idea and this one movie that was incredibly well written and. So that begs the question, how much did he write it? Right. Or, you know, is that, you know, so was it more of a Ben Affleck thing? Well, and has Ben Affleck written the movies that he's, I mean, I know he's, he's gotten some acclaim as a director. Yeah. I don't either because I don't particularly care for Ben Affleck. I think his directing is actually pretty good, better than his acting. Right. But my problem is, is that he also usually acts in all of those movies too. And then I have to watch his stupid fucking face. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And that's hard for me because I really hate his face. It's a pretty stupid face. Yeah. You can send your hate mail to at Whelmed Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> Sorry, fans of Ben Affleck. Um, my next one um is actually like a recent find. Uh, mm-hmm. as you know, I started watching Newsroom over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um and bring it back around to the Sorkin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't pull a West Wing one because I was pretty sure you were going to. Um, sure. But you know, what got me into the show was pretty much the monologue Jeff is no, it's not Jeff Bridges, it's um Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Jeff Bridges is Big Lebowski. You know, it's also so funny to think that Jeff Daniels was also in Dumb and Dumber. Um Yes, he was. <laughs> All the men in my family love that movie. Dumb and like, dumb. They love it. They love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> they like they like quote it to each other. It's that's weird. It's real sweet. It's real sweet. Okay. It's a little weird for me, but I get I get it. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the beginning of it, the character that Jeff Daniels plays. He's the lead anchor of a nightly cable news show, like an MSNBC or something. Um, and he's the the pilot opens with him at a lecture, and on either side of him is a liberal pundit, I guess, and a conservative mm-hmm. pundit. And they're at a, I guess they're they're at a college forum, and students are asking questions. And uh, this girl gets up and asks them to state concisely. Um, why America is the greatest country in the world. And uh, I mean, you know, you and I talk about it relatively regularly about the problem with American exceptionalism. And uh, like, this was sort of, so the show basically, the whole series starts with Jeff Daniels having a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a breakdown, a moment of- I mean, yeah, like, I mean, it's treated like a meltdown in the show. Yeah, but it's not. It's him actually speaking his mind when he tries to hold back his opinion because he's trying to be an unbiased. Right. To give a balanced news report. So he tries to stay out of giving opinions. And he gives this monologue. I'm not going to read this one. But he gives this monologue um, about why we're not, why America is not exceptional. Um, And... You know, that's what really got me into the show. Um, and, you know, it continues on our journey of idealism. Um, it continues, you know, you know, I, I, I continue to watch the show and I think 
what would make it a little bit more digestible. Like it's really hard to watch in the sense that it's it's pulling their storylines from real, real world events. And I think the way that the West Wing, like they moved it just to the side of fiction so that it didn't feel like it was commenting on real world events. So it was a lot more digestible. Right. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's another one of Sorkin's idealistic, let's be bold and say something. That we're right, and it's also gutsy. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing that people, I mean, I don't know, it's the thing I'm very drawn to in Sorkin, right? Is that like, there is that, it's that combination of idealism, but also balls yeah. that like we, that you, that you want from people in the public eye, right? Like his American president monologue is like that. His, you know, there are a number of them on West Wing where, right? Like if you're wondering, boy, crime, I don't know, is when I decided to kick your ass. Like, yeah. We we're happy when people stand up and truthfully, like it was ballsy for him. It wasn't network TV, but it was HBO like yeah. for him to but him, but for him to put on TV, America's not the greatest country. We're not. Hey, dumbasses, we're not the greatest country. We're not. And the argument about like freedom, what do you what are you fucking talking about? Like. 197 of them are free right like most of the countries in the world have freedom yeah. like that does not make well, us exceptional actually freedom. what we define as freedom right so you know it's there are a lot of problems here and it doesn't mean that we can't that there can't be some greatness or whatever but that that we're not the greatest country in the world and that that was a ballsy thing to say particularly at the time i mean that shows 10 years old at this point so well, i mean I feel it was so ahead of its time because yeah. like even reflecting, like watching it now for the first time, it feels so current. Yeah. And almost like a much needed retrospective on on how nine, like the events of 9-11 scared people more than we ever really realized. Mm-hmm. And like you know started a chain reaction of divisiveness and you know the tea party and you know and then and then obama and so the racism and you know etc cetera, etc cetera, like how it all got us here i mean obviously there are things that happened before like you know the reagan deregulization all that stuff too but Right, but it's an interesting look into the, you know, it's an interesting look into fairly recent history and how that has led us to, right? Like, it's easy to look at history from 40 or 50 years ago and go, oh, that's what led to this and that's what led to this. But it's interesting to try to do that in the moment or very soon after the moment. And, and for someone who's a news junkie, and I said this to you the other day, I think the silver lining of my enjoyment of this show is that it's killing news for me. It's possible. It's possibly curing my news addiction. In that, yeah. like, it's raising the question: Why aren't news journalists asking the real questions? And telling you, man, you got to switch to PBS. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I like NPR. It's pretty. Yeah. I, I feel like they do a pretty decent job. Yeah. But like, I, I don't necessarily like. I feel like the, and I can get off my soapbox in a second, but. The news media is now attempting to have an unbiased or a balanced news report. And, and in doing so, it's actually not really reporting any news. 
Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying is that I don't know what you're watching, but on PBS, no. that's not true. So I mean, we watch the news from PBS and it's, you know, they're saying this is not true. Um, the administration I, um, says this and that's not true. You know who I really love on PBS? Yamish Alcindor. Ah, uh, not Neto Ulubi. I don't know who that is. Uh, well, she's also on PBS. Good old Neto Ulubi. The <laughs> lovely... PBS NPR names, man. Are they not the best? <laughs> they are the best. <laughs> they are the best. Well, speaking of another show that was ahead of its time, um, my final monologue is from Buffy. Mine too! And this is another place I had a... Oh, good. Well, <laughs> this is another place I had a really hard time picking. Um, because there are several really beautiful monologues. Which one did you choose? Uh, it's an Anya monologue. Um, uh, uh, it's the, I have a hard time watching this episode. It's the episode where Buffy's mom dies. Mm-hmm. And is this what you thought I picked? Yes. Okay. Ah, curses. I can <laughs> never trick you. I'm so, ah. Am I that spectacular monologue. I'm that predictable. Um, uh, and, you know, I I had a, uh, my grandma died, as you know, earlier this year. And I think of, of all the people that I've had pass on in my life, it was probably the person I loved the most and had the yeah. connection with. That, um, and uh, I, I just feel like, and I'm going to read a bit of it. Um, and I just feel like Joss really, in Buffy overall was really able to use a metaphor of fighting demons to mm. mimic life in a way mm-hmm. that just felt like real. Like even though all, the whole show is supernatural. Um, yeah. And uh, Anya is hands down one of my favorite characters of the show because in a similar way to Aaron Sorkin, it's a little, she's a little shameless in that she's, she's asking the questions we're all feeling. So when Buffy's mom dies, she like having just become human, she doesn't understand. Like death is is a very complicated topic for people. Like I can understand the science behind it, but Anya goes on to say, but I don't understand. I don't understand how this all happens, how we go through this. I mean, I knew her, And then she's, there's just a body and I don't understand why she just can't get back into it and not not be dead anymore. It's stupid, it's mortal and it's stupid. And Xander's crying and not talking. And I was having fruit punch and I thought, Joyce will never have any more fruit punch ever. And she'll never have eggs or yawn or brush her hair, not ever. And no one will explain to me why. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's it's a wonderful monologue, and it and it completely encapsulates how you feel at that moment of like, I don't understand what happened. Like, I there's there's this thing that happens when someone, especially someone that you're close to, or someone that has been part of your of your life regularly, mm-hmm. is not is gone. Then like, there's this thing of like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It just doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't make sense you don't understand like what do you mean they're gone like that just doesn't 
Yeah. I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, I had a super hard time choosing um, <clears throat> just because there are a couple of great monologues. Um, but there are, there are two of her sort of um, the like rousing the troop speeches at the end. It's mm -hmm. like in the, it's quite close to the end in season seven. Um, and there's one about, you know, we're going to, we're going to go fight. Like the mouth of hell is going to swallow me up and it's going to choke on me. And uh, that's a great monologue. Um, but I chose the one at the end because it's, a, it's about the potentials. Mm-hmm. And so she's talking to all of the potentials and she's saying, you know, there's always evil. There will always be evil, but we have, you all have a choice right now that every girl who wants to be a long time ago, there's, there was one girl chosen in all the world because a bunch of old men decided it was going to be that way and we can change it. This woman right here is more powerful than all of them. Like she's talking about Willow and Willow can spread that to every and everybody who wants to fight everybody who's a potential now has that power within them to fight evil and you just keep fighting that's what you do right like evil always exists it will always be there and you just keep fighting it that's all you can do way to bring it back to our Stacey Abrams conversation from last <laughs> week <laughs> but that I mean what, that was written, what, 10 years ago now? Season seven? Uh, about 15, actually. I mean, but it feels ever current. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, well if that you, was a list. That was a list. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a list. That was a long list. <laughs> Chad, what are you whelmed about this week? Oh my gosh. I am, uh, I'm um, getting whelmed about Christmas decorating. Aww. Yay. Do you do a tree? Um, I have scheduled my tree trimming, uh, I don't even know what to call it, event, gathering. It's not a gathering. Bobby and Billy are coming over to help me trim my tree. Ah. <laughs> uh. But, do you get a real tree or do you do a fake tree? It's a fake tree. The big question this year is do I do a tree skirt or a tree collar? Big oh, yeah. tree collar. Yeah, so, you know, I live alone and I, you know, I don't really do the exchanging of presents even with my family really much anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the tree skirt under my tree, it just looks really bare. So there are these things called a tree collar so it like sort of helps fill that space between the tree and the floor. Gotcha. Also okay. kind of looks like the tree's planted into your floor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And choosing garland. I need to choose some outdoor garland. Uh, such a lovely festive time to decorate. Decorating is fun. What are you wound about, Megan? Um, my choice for this week is very, very old school, actually. Um, I have a friend whose daughter's in Girl Scouts um, and, a, and a, one of my favorite little kids. And she was selling magazines to oh. raise money for Girl Scouts. And so I bought a magazine 
They still do that. And I have been receiving, I have been receiving a magazine in the mail and it is paper. And I have read two of them. It's Entertainment Weekly, which is not weekly anymore. It's in fact monthly, but they didn't change the name. (laughs) And it has just been lovely. I have so thoroughly enjoyed. I'm like finding out about new shows and podcasts now they put in the magazine and books. How exciting is that? And like read a great article about Jennifer. Aniston, Love Hewitt. Hudson, yeah, okay. I read a great article about Jennifer Hudson, who's gonna do the Aretha Franklin biopic, right? And I read a great article about the Wanda and Vision TV series that's coming to WandaVision, that's coming mm-hmm. to Disney Plus, um, mm-hmm. which is the beginning. They've had to rearrange the Marvel Phase Four oh. um, due to COVID, right? So, like, it was supposed to kick off with Black Widow, and they were supposed to be filming, yeah, uh, the the Falcon and Winter Soldier show, and they aren't able to do that. So, they've WandaVision is going to come out probably around Christmas. Oh. Um, yeah, and so that'll be like like the kickoff for phase four of the MCU, which obviously is like my whole universe. So I really, really into it. Like the poster for Black Widow. It looked, I don't know, whatever. Anyway. Oh, I don't remember seeing it even. Um, but the magazine has just been super fun and I've really enjoyed it. And it's, Entertainment Weekly is really well written, which I've always appreciated. I mean, I used to get it a, lo- a while ago um, and then I stopped. And so it just was really pleasant to have. So I recommend folks checking out a magazine. You know, I honestly, I've actually started receiving magazines again and uh, as well. Uh, I subscribe to a couple and um, also reading real books as opposed to digitally on like an iPad or a Kindle. And I'm just enjoying, Mm -hmm. I I just, I tried to do the whole digital thing, like save paper, save a tree. And uh, I just find reading more enjoyable with a real book or a real magazine. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do enjoy my Kindle. Um, but also it's because I just had like, there's just a lot of stuff on there. So I can just be reading like four books at a time. And when I go on vacation, I've got like 10 books with me. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm not having to lug around a whole extra suitcase. Uh, but yeah, you really can't beat the feel of a real book or a real magazine. So. Um, Megan, if people are against genocide and syphilis, where can they find us? You can come tell us all about how much you hate genocide or Ben Affleck or syphilis Mm -hmm. or monologues or even this podcast, if you feel like it. I don't know how you listened all the way through if you really don't like it that much, but we'd be glad to hear about it. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Whelmed Podcast. And we sure would appreciate if you would rate and review us. um, If you are listening on Spotify or Apple podcast because it really does help people to find us and that would be cool so you should come back and listen next week when we probably won't talk about genocide at all (laughs) but maybe syphilis (laughs) who knows Uh, I love you honey what would I do without you you never have to worry about that oh boo